High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 159 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, 159 career home runs for uh, Brandon Belt. I know I've used that before, but if he's going to keep hitting them, might as well keep talking about it. You're taking a risk there, Grant, because he could hit one today and make that completely irrelevant. Ooh, that's good. I'll save myself. 159 career home runs for Giants legend Marlon Bird. Oh, there you go. See, he's probably not going to hit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about less Marlon Bird and more 2021 Giants. Uh, the Giants did what they kind of needed to do. They, it, it, listen, with this much or this little of a season left, it's not like even getting swept by the Dodgers was going to be insurmountable. They would be back three. They would still have 25 to play. Like there would be time to make that up. It's not as much time as they would have liked though. So not getting swept was good. Not losing the series was good for the Giants and especially winning the series was pretty darn good for the Giants. Yeah, I think that this is why Las Vegas exists is because the Giants can throw a bullpen game for the second day in a row against Walker Bueller and, and still find a way to win. I mean, you never know, as Joaquin Andujar famously said, um, in one word. Um, yeah, it, you know what? It's it was you really looked at, at the depth the Giants have in their bullpen and, and the way that they've gotten value, not necessarily from like just massive shutdown, impenetrable reliever or two at the back end, but the entire group. You know, the guys who come in to pitch the the fifth inning, if if need be, the sixth inning, and, and we've talked about that where there's just. There just hasn't been a lot of holes on the roster, uh, and there haven't been a lot of tomato cans in, in that bullpen. And they felt that, you know, with their depth, they'd be able to get through that and, and, and throw quality innings and give the team a chance to win. And that's exactly what they did. You know, granted, they probably don't want to do that for the rest of the season. But, um, you know, the Dodgers have been able to do bullpen games. The Rays have kind of made a, a, a study of it. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see just how much the Giants have to rely on this strategy going forward over these last three weeks of the season. But but for now, I mean, yeah, they have to be just super pumped that they not only took the series from L.A., but by winning on Sunday, um, they win the season series. So if the Giants and Dodgers were to finish tied uh, for the National League uh, uh, lead at the end of the season, have identical 162-game records, that means that if there's a playoff game then, in that instance, it would be played uh, in San Francisco. So uh, that's that's no small thing. And if I were to go back to 2019 and talk to a Phillies fan and, and blow a Phillies fan's mind, uh, it would be a description of this series. Uh, the Giants are playing not just a good team, not just one of baseball's best teams, but one of the best collections of baseball talent assembled on a roster. I don't feel like that's hyperbolic. I think that that is the 2021 Giants or 2021 Dodgers. And the way that the Giants were able to beat them is by Gabe Kapler managing a bullpen for two days in a row. Like that was it? I mean, seriously, it's like it because it was it felt natural at the time. It was just sort of, yeah, he's, he's making this move. He's pulling this lever. He brought in Duvall, which was a little dicey, but it worked out like 
it worked out in so many different ways. And were people too tough on him in Philadelphia? Has he learned everything? Is he getting better information? Is it just better pitching? What's different now with Gabe Kaplan in the bullpen? That's so funny because you started out with the Phillies and then you started talking about And I'm like, where is this going to come back around to the <laughs> Phillies? And, oh, yes. It was right there the whole time. That was supposed yes, to be his course. problem, you know? Like, yeah. that was Kapler's bugaboo was the bullpen. I mean, that that was the big question about him was, you know, we knew that the players actually liked him for the most part. I mean, the, a lot of times the players were asked to do things they didn't want to do and, and he had to get their buy-in and, and that always is tricky. But, you know, for the most part, you didn't hear that the players hated Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia. Um, the big knock on him was, you know, was he really adept at watching games and 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 pivoting in the moment and using his gut, you know, when, when he had to, and to blend that in with all of the other things at his disposal, because it can be, you know, paralysis by analysis. you got so much information and you're thinking, okay, now he's got like 16 different coaches all in his ear. You know, how, how, how is this going to work functionally? And, you know, there were things that he had missed, uh, especially early in his tenure when it came to warming up relievers, et cetera. And, um, uh, and, and so, yeah, you wondered, was he going to really have that bochi type feel for, for just knowing a matchup that's going to work, you know, knowing you're going to get somebody uh, in the right spot. And, and that's what managing is all about. It's putting people in positions where they have the best chance of success. And, you know, that's been defined a little bit differently and it's defined a little more quantitatively now. Uh, but it's still the same job. And uh, you're right. You know, not only you know, throwing Duvall in there. Uh, when I asked him that question yesterday in the dugout. I said, how, how are you confident that he could go in there and throw strikes? And he's like, well, honestly, we weren't. We were hoping to get a clean inning out of him. And we didn't want to put him in a situation in traffic like that. But we didn't get enough length from the guys before, mostly Jose Alvarez. So, um, you know, we had to, to make that move. And not only did it work out, but they even overcame a really awful strike zone uh, from Tony Randazzo behind the plate, who called like four different 3-2 pitches balls when they were strikes. And then, of course, the Dodgers got their end, too, and Mookie Betts got a bad call on him uh, in, in the ninth uh, when, when he represented the tying run and otherwise would have walked. So, you know, it evened out, but it was it was just a shame it was a terrible strike zone. But, you know, that's another thing that those relief pitchers had to deal with, and, uh, and, and they came through it. And it really did seem like one of those push every button, uh, make the right move type of games. And it had to be with all the moves that, uh, that, that the Giants had to make from a pitching standpoint. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search the Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. I think one thing that is different now compared to when Kapler was in Philly is that he, when he puts a pitcher in there, gotta let him go three batters, right? You know, when Duvall's out there and he's having a bad warm up and he throws his first pitch to the backstop, can't really get uh, too clever and go out there and get him. You just gotta sit there and ride the roller coaster. And I think that's made the managerial job just a little bit easier. I mean, it takes a lot of, you get the blame for putting the guy in there. But then a lot of the guesswork is removed because, well, once he's in there, he's in there. That's a great, great point. And and I don't know if it makes it a lot easier because you still have to calibrate a whole bunch of things. But it does make you, it does force you to be less reductive 
uh, right, and less granular about uh, getting every single matchup. And you know that that's Gabe Kapler's impulse, you know, right, to, 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 to sort of hammer down on everything and get every advantage. And that means going batter to batter if you have to. And, 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 uh, and yeah, you're right. They haven't been able to do that. And that probably has allowed him to have a bit of a gentler touch. And, uh, and that's, uh, uh, that seems to have served him well and served the, Gi- served the Giants well. And, and let's not forget that a lot of credit goes to the front office for just having this never-ending supply of, of interesting relievers he can go to. Yeah, I am working on something right now that, that's detailing all of the innings that are thrown by pitchers uh, who have like an adjusted ERA worse than 75, right? So these pitchers are giving up uh, a lot of runs in uh, not insubstantial amount of innings. Uh, and the Giants have one, and it's Sammy Long. And he's been kind of good. You know, he's had his moments. He's uh, saved the bullpen in, in the game against the Braves. He's looked great against this game. Like he has not been a complete drag on the team. He's it. Like that is it as far as a, a bulk of innings from a reliever not doing so well at at run prevention and the Giants are I haven't run the numbers since yesterday or or last two days but it's like one of the rarest things in baseball history like you're talking going back the last X number of years it just doesn't happen there's usually two guys who get lit up three guys four guys even on the best stabs even on like the 2011 Giants or 2009 Giants you still have some guys who come in and go whoops and slip on a banana peel the Giants don't have those guys they just bring out quality arm after quality arm yeah it does remind me a little bit of some of the championship teams when you had you know the guy who was your sort of uh, tourniquet uh, in the bullpen was Guillermo Moda who was really good you know and he could just like roll out of bed and, and throw three shutout innings and uh, you know each of them were about nine eight and nine pitches and and he would save the team over and over and over again and, and you don't think about you know just how important those contributions are but you know when they come in a 5-3 game and you rally back to win or or if they come in a blowout and you save a couple of of, of arms to pitch the next day and protect the lead. I mean, it has a cumulative effect. And I think that we've learned so much about the importance of that by watching the success of this Giants team still, still leading the division over, as you mentioned, the Dodgers have basically the best assemblage of talent of, you know, basically any team ever. And and here are the Giants still beating them. And, and that that's how they're doing it. They're doing it just with constant contributions, constant quality, not giving away too much on either end of the ball. And, yeah, it, it does seem to remind me a little bit of some of those title teams because there really weren't any bad relievers on those teams either. Yeah, I think of uh, Ramon Ramirez, who was a very, very solid reliever. He was like a, you don't want to maybe pitch in the ninth inning, but he want him on the roster. Uh, he threw one inning in the World Series. He threw one inning in the NLCS. Uh, I don't know if that is because he was tired, but he was on the roster. It, they just didn't have a need to use him in the highest leverage situations all the time because they were so deep. And that's that's the point of, of the 2021 Giants is that you are going and you're not putting Tony Watson in at the ninth inning. You're bringing him in where it makes sense. You're bringing in uh, Zach Littell when it makes sense. And he's become something like a cult hero because he's always in the middle throwing these quality innings in key spots. Uh, like that's, that's what the they're doing right now it's just a depth 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 Zach Littell's fastball just has a lot of carry right now I mean it's it's a load to deal with and uh you know this is a guy that um you know was kind of you know just on the transactions page you know when they acquired him and, and there's uh, there's just been any number of guys who fall in that category and um uh yeah it's it's they, they don't feel like they're really chasing innings down right now even though they just did against the best team in baseball um, at least uh, statistically. So, um, you know, but I, then you, you have to look at what happened um, 
at Coors Field uh, on Monday, on Labor Day. Quick turnaround, both the Dodgers and Giants had to deal with it. A day game uh, in another city, a lot of traveling. They got in around 3 a.m. Of course, the Dodgers were playing the Cardinals in St. Louis, and uh, the Giants are starting a series at Coors Field. This is the last three games out of 16 in a row without a day off. They've just absolutely hammered their bullpen to get through the Dodgers series. And now they have to go through three games at Coors Field. And if Kevin Gossman had gotten uh, really slammed early and, and knocked out of that game, uh, I think they could have found a way through. But, man, it, it still would not have left them in a very good position uh, for the rest of this series against a team that's basically playing 20 games over 500 at home, the Rockies are. And what did Kevin Gossman do? He came out and he pitched a great game, seven Innings, nine strikeouts, uh, a couple of homers allowed on a day where the ball was flying like a Titleist, and uh, and even got a little Butcher Boy uh, RBI single for his eighth hit of the year. And the Giants pitchers only have 17 combined. So um, I got to watch an inning of it out, out in the stands with his father, Claire, and it was the first time that, that his uh, family, uh, they were from the Denver area, they got to see him pitch as a major leaguer at Coors Field. It took forever, but they finally got to see it. And uh, uh, that was uh, really a cool moment for them, and, and just a huge contribution. You talk about Labor Day and the importance of work. Kevin Gosman certainly delivered uh, and, and stuck to the holiday theme there. So the Giants are in good shape going forward. Yeah, I asked uh, Gabe Kapler after Sunday night's game. I said, okay, so you had two bullpen games uh, against the Dodgers. Uh, you really you know, kind of threw the kitchen sink at the Dodgers. Now you're going without an off day to Coors Field. Is this where you are thought you would be? Is, are are the Giants in worse shape, better shape, or is this kind of what you expected to be? And his answer was, in not so many words, we are really hoping to get some innings out of the starters. <laughs> they had a plan, and that plan sort of involved, and we're hoping to get innings out of starters in Coors Field. And yeah, Gossman's uh, outing was, was outstanding. I mean, you have to adjust for Coors Field. Uh, he was uh, excellent, missing a lot of bats, throwing strikes where he, he wanted to throw them. Uh, and now it's just up to the other starters to uh, hold true. But if you're talking about a bullpen game followed by a bullpen game followed by a Coors Field series, that's about as as daunting a gauntlet as you can have in baseball in 2021. Yeah, you know, they, they are making roster moves every day. So, you know, the move this time was to call up Kervin Castro, uh, who had been on the taxi squad. and and uh, But even then, you saw just how Coors Field strikes fear in you. I mean, they're, they're leading, um, you know, 10 to 5 in the ninth <laughs> inning. And you think, okay, this is a good spot to put in Kervin Castro for his Major League debut. Nope, we saw Dominic Leone, one of their leverage relievers, instead, <laughs> and he, he and he threw a five pitch inning to to, to close it down. But um, that's that's the sort of the no lead is safe uh, deal at, at Coors Field. So Kerwin Castro's on the roster; he can give them multiple innings. He'll be there to back up Logan Webb in case he's needed. And then uh, Anthony DiScalfani, we presume, is going to start the final game of the series on Wednesday. Um, and then the Giants will very much look forward to having a day off before they go on. To Wrigley Field, but they are able to still, you know, use moves to freshen up their bullpen uh, and option guys, and and um, you know that that does help a little bit, uh, and I think they'll continue to do that through September. Uh, but you're right; it's they put themselves in a the spot where you know they were kind of pot committed, uh, and you can't walk away from it. And they just had to hope the next card that that came on the board was going to help them, 
And that card was an ace, and that ace was Kevin Gosman. <laughs> uh, Kevin Castro is interesting uh, because when the Giants, in, in the beginning of the season, when the Giants were struggling a little bit and you had Gregory Santos come out and, and he threw an electric first uh, outing, and I wrote an article, oh, this guy's so electric, he's so cool. And then, uh, okay, so maybe that doesn't work out, and Camilo Duvall comes out, and, and same thing, like an electric inning, and oh, another article, look at this guy, he's going to save the Giants' bullpen. Well, I got burned on both of those, and I look like a big old dummy. So Kervin Castro, when he is through June 3rd, he's got a 7.2 ERA in AAA. Uh, he has very, very limited experience about short season A-ball, and I, I just stepped back and said, okay, even if he's on the 40-man roster, I'm just going to ignore him. And I was very good at ignoring him, but he's been really good. Like, he pitched his way to the majors. It wasn't just, he's already on the 40-man. I mean, that, that factored in, but he has pitched his way to the majors, and, and I'm sure that the Giants got really good reports on him. Yeah, no, he really has. And the number one thing that you want to do uh, is going to impress you is to be a strike thrower. And um, when Camilo Duvall has been a strike thrower, it's worked out pretty well. Uh, okay, he has given up some some hard contact when he's been wild within the strike zone. But Kervin Castro is a guy who has had 30 appearances this year uh, and thrown 44 innings. So you know he's a, he's a multi-inning guy. He's got 60 strikeouts in those 40 uh, innings. So you know he misses bats. And, um, and the walk total is 22. So, you know, that, that is one walk per every two innings, a little on the high side. But, you know, when you're striking a lot of guys out, when you're holding them to a 190 average and, and you're doing that in the PCL, um, that's, that's a pretty good sign. And you're obviously uh, pretty durable and can maintain your stuff if you've got 44 innings and 30 appearances. So, um, yeah, a really good body of work, a very encouraging and... Um, uh, I, I have a feeling that he's going to be put in some pretty big spots here eventually. It seems like my brain has been broken since 2002 uh, from Fr Francisco Rodriguez. The idea that, that you can just sneak in this all of a sudden uh, incredible uh, hammer of, of Thor like kind of weapon in the late innings. And I'm always looking for this guy. I remember in 2014, oh, this guy throws hard. Look at this guy missing bats. Oh, Hunter Strickland, he's going to dominate the 2014 postseason. Uh, didn't quite work out that way, <laughs> but you know, I'm always like looking for this guy. And so I'm really curious to see, uh, uh Kervin Castro and see how he matches up against major league hitters, because I, I like Camilo Duvall a lot as a reliever for the future. I would not necessarily trust his command in the 2021 postseason. When you're talking about Kervin Castro, he's such an unknown and he's he's thrown 30 games above Salem Kaiser. Like he is still a, a, a pup when it comes to experience and, and professional experience. And for him to succeed as much as he has, especially in the last month in Sacramento, makes me think like there's something there. Like it, it maybe doesn't have to be a tourniquet for the rest of the season, but maybe even beyond into October. Yeah, and he's a guy who um, you know was able to throw a lot uh, last year when the minor leagues were shut down. Uh, he's one of the guys who he had family out in Florida. I think he was in the Orlando area. And, you know, like a lot of the players from Venezuela, they just weren't able to go home. So, uh, you know, you had a Luis Matos, a really good outfield prospect. And he was living, you know, with a bunch of other Venezuelan guys, along with Kai Wei Tang from Taiwan. And they were just living in Arizona in, in the hotel, just sort of uh, trapped in their rooms, uh, you know, for months at a time during the pandemic. But they were unable to really do anything or go anywhere. Um, and Kervin Castro was, was a little bit lucky uh, by comparison. You know, he had family in Florida, so he was able to go out there. And there were so many um, Venezuelan uh, players that were in Florida that had family there that they started up like Sandlot Leagues, and they were playing against each other. And, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons 
that his arm was in such good shape when they got to instructional league and were able to to assemble for that. And he's you know throwing ninety eight with with sync and, and command and and um, and really impressing people. So. Um, you know, he, he definitely got a head start, I think, on the season where a lot of other people didn't. And maybe that's got something to do with the fact that he's, you know, been so consistent and maintained his stuff so well. So, um, you know, I think that's a cool story. And, uh, um, you know, it shows that uh, sometimes you have to be a little bit creative when things are thrown your way. And, and, and a lot of those guys certainly were able to do that. And, and I'm sure it was fun for him, too. I'm going to take a time machine back to uh, before the 2020 season. And one of the rules is I can't tell you to stock up on toilet paper. I can't tell you to stock up on sanitizer or any of that stuff. But I can tell you that the Giants are going to have an opportunity to get Nelson Cruz, but a little bit younger and able to play in the outfield and at first base and have just a you know a little bit of athleticism, you would take that on the Giants, wouldn't you? I would. And are you trying to say Darren Ruff is Nelson Cruz? He's like Nelson Cruz now. Oh. Come on. Like of all the surprising stuff on the Giants, you have Darren Ruff. He has the top adjusted OPS. He's hitting dinger after dinger. His on-base percentage is over 400. And he's not just doing it against lefties. He's not just a lefty masher. He's now getting everyday play because he's hitting uh, righty very well. He's got an 878 OPS against righties. Darren Ruff, to me, might be the most surprising story of the last two years for the Giants. Yeah, it's funny. He was a guy that, uh, you know, they thought a lot of. He obviously really hit well in Korea. You know, he only came back from Samsung because he and his wife were expecting their second child and he didn't want to be in Korea for, you know, basically the, the first year of his new daughter's life. And so, you know, he's in camp as a non-roster guy and was very much on the fringes of the roster. And, and even after he had a nice year contributing, you know, last year in a small sample, you wondered, hey, is this a guy that they're going to tender a contract to? You know, are they going to need his 40-man space? Do they really think he's going to make the team? He's been on the bubble for a long time. So for him to come out and do what he's doing now, yeah, I think uh, even the Giants would have to be honest and say that they did not see this level of production coming. But but, I mean, the guy has been just very consistently good <laughs> with everything. And uh, he even apologized for nearly running over Buster Posey on, on the mound ball while trying to make a, <laughs> a catch on a pop fly and, and told the training staff, I guess, hey, you need to get me out of this game. Not for my health and safety, but for everybody else's. <laughs> he's just got a great sense of humor. He's self-deprecating. He's warm. He's funny. You know, he's, uh, uh, he's just a classic Omaha, Nebraska kid. And... Uh, um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it was really neat to, to meet his wife and, and hear about, uh, you know, just his family's sort of experience through the game and wrote about, wrote about that for Father's Day. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it's, we have the good guy award coming up. We have to give it to somebody. And, and um, uh, it, honestly, we have so many good choices. Darren Ruff could win it. Kevin Gossman could win it. Um, gosh, go down the line. Logan Webb has been tremendous and funny and warm. Um, it, it's been a, it's been really cool to have field access again, be able to talk to the players again, uh, because you know there's nothing better than just being able to give you a little flavor for what they're about and what the, who these people are in addition to what they do on the field, and and we've gotten to do that a little bit again after you know not being able to do it for a year and a half, so that's that's been great. No turds, the story of the 2021 Giants, narrated by Danny Glover. I would buy that. Right. Oh, man. When Darren Ruff signed, I was just sitting there looking at his stats, looking at his stats. And I, I said, you know what? I got to write about this guy, even though he's not going to make the roster. I just I got to write about him. And when I pitched the story to our then editor, Tim Kawakami, I could like sense 
his eye rolling through Slack and he trusts me, but I could just see him going, my dude, nobody cares. And he was right. At the same time, I was like on board as on board could be. I didn't think he was going to make the roster. When he made the roster, I didn't think he was going to hit well. When he hit well, I was like, okay, but now the DH is gone. They, they have to trade him this offseason because he's going to take up a valuable 26-man roster spot. Like all along, I've been doubting him as much as anyone. And it's just, it's not that he's been productive or that he's been helpful. He has been a key, key cog in a way uh, that... I don't know. I wasn't expecting from Mike Yastrzemski almost like he's he's been that level. Yeah, you know what? You 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 really um, that's a good reminder. That was one of the main reasons that I, I thought that Darren Ruff may not have a place on this team is because the DH went away. Um, and and you're thinking, gosh, they, they they like the hyper flexible players who can go all over. And he you know he kind of is kind of a DH you know uh, water buffalo type to to put it in Pat Burrell terms. Um, and and that that is loving a loving description by the way uh, water buffalo. Um, but but yeah, so that that was you definitely had to bake that in. Is is well, they don't have the DH now. So where's his place going to be on the roster? And and here he is sitting. Hey guys, who leads the Giants in outfield assists? Two, two, uh, three, three of them right here. Uh, Darren Ruff. <laughs> He's actually played pretty well wherever they put him. So, um, and and obviously you see what the the hitting production has been. Uh, definitely one of the bigger surprise stories and, and one of the nicer stories on this team. Yeah, I would say that this, uh, at least the hitting side of the current twenty six man roster, is pretty close to uh, the ideal. Uh, permutation. You have uh, Mauricio Dubon out there, and that might be not who you would want. You Maybe you'd want to get Wilmer Flores or Donovan Solano on there instead. But as far as the outfield permutation, where you've got uh, uh, you've got Duggar out there for defense if you need, and he's, he, if he can hit a little bit, that's great. Uh, you have uh, Tyra Estrada to be kind of a two-way threat where he can play all over, but also get you some big hits. You have everyone healthy with La Stella and Longoria. You've got Chris Bryant who can move around. It just seems to be that in the stretch run in September, once they get Flores or Solano back, um, it, this is about as good as the Giants could throw out there. Yeah, and you have to feel for Alex Dickerson. It just hasn't happened for him this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, when you get in September, that's when moves are made. You know, that's when you know Juan Uribe replaces Pablo Sandoval because Sandoval's gotten too big. That's when you know Cody Ross replaces Jose Guillen because Jose Guillen got checks notes, so had a UPS ship, shipment of HGH sent to his house. Okay, um, but yeah, you, you you have moves that you think are kind of the obvious moves, but then when you get to September, those moves are made because you just go with the bottom line. And, you know, Alex Dickerson going on the injured list allowed the Giants to bring up Steven Duggar. And I really thought that Duggar should have been on this roster for the Coors series because we're seeing Austin Slater play a pretty darn good center field. Uh, we're, we're seeing how center field is, is a little more manageable at Oracle Park now by moving in that wall 10 feet. And uh, but going to course is a different deal, and we've seen the Giants play bad outfield defense at course field, and I thought Stephen Duggar had to be on this roster uh, for the course series. And you know what? If Alex Dickerson and Austin Slater hadn't gotten hurt, he wouldn't have been. They were not planning to call him up. Uh, but uh, you know, Dickerson had the hamstring injury, and Slater had the concussion while you know banging his head against the wall, going for Trey Turner's uh, home run. And you know, you hope both of them get healthy as, as quickly as possible. 
But, you know, it did allow them to make roster moves that, to be honest, put them in a better position to win. And Steven Duggar, you know, had a huge hit off of Walker Buehler to, to help win that game against the Dodgers. And, and he's contributing here in the first game at Coors, and, and he, he definitely gives them their best outfield defense. So you could even say that, you know, sometimes things happen and, and a replacement comes in, and it's not even what the team would have chosen to happen, but it does make them better and ends up being the right move. And that's certainly the Cody Ross story. Um, and, and that does seem to be a little bit of the story here as well. And, and maybe, you know, if you're someone who's a romantic or you believe in fate, then it's like, well, it's meant to be. It's, it's, this is meant to happen. Uh, but, you know, whether you believe that way or not, it's, it's worked out well for the Giants thus far. And, and I agree. I think they've, they're getting closer to a better version of themselves, but they certainly would, would like to have Solano back soon, uh, probably for the Cubs series, and Wilmer Flores may not be too far behind him. Uh, I would like to clarify, dear listener, that I did not mean to be uh, rude and say like, oh, now that these two jerks are hurt, the Giants have a really good roster going. You know, I didn't, no, it's it's unfortunate that Dickerson and Slater got hurt. That That isn't what I meant. But what I'm looking forward to is now that we can talk about postseason and postseason roster stuff, I am really, really curious to see uh, what 26 players the Giants choose for their postseason roster. I know it's going to uh, have to do with the team that they're facing, and we can't guess that now. But all year it's been, oh, uh, vaccine side effects. This guy's gone. Okay, option. This guy's option. This guy's up. This guy's hurt. This guy's back. They have played a shell game with about you know 35 different shells, and it's been fascinating to watch. It has been, uh, you know, just real deft and like they've they've done a really good job at it but when it comes to you have to set a 26-man roster for the postseason i'm dying to know what it's going to be because i really have no idea yeah i think probably two of the biggest wild cards right now would be johnny cueto and alex wood um that would where they are is going to i think have a lot to do with what the rest of the roster looks like especially from the pitching side i mean if if they're pitching really well and they feel they have a lot of good options does johnny cueto make a postseason uh, rotation? Does he make a get a postseason roster spot? It, it's it's uh, it's not quite as obvious as Barry Zito in 2010. Uh, and I I still do believe in Johnny's ability to step up in a big game. He's just he just has a way of of, of doing that if he's healthy uh, healthy enough. And um, so you know that I think that'll be a big one to watch as as we go forward. Um, and then and then obviously you know Alex Wood is still not feeling well and he's uh, not close to returning. And you know they were in the situation of having to throw consecutive bullpen games because they didn't have Alex Wood, who otherwise would have been a good matchup against the Dodgers. And so you know they're hoping that uh, you know he recovers well, starts feeling better, and you know not just so he can participate again, but uh, you know just for his own you know well-being. Uh, so uh, you know as, as he's on the the COVID list here. So the, I think those those two um, storylines I think are going to be important as as we see how the rest of this roster takes shape, but. But yeah, you're right. They, they, they won't be able to do the daily sort of machinations uh, that they've been doing you know, pretty much all season. If the Giants were at full health, if you had Cueto, if you had Alex Wood at full health, you have your, your full complement of five starters. You've got Gossman, Webb, Disclefani, Cueto, and Wood. Of those four, it would make sense to have Alex Wood turn into that Julio Urias or Yasmero Petit, the, the bulk innings guy, especially with uh, four right-handed starters, right? Or would it be someone else? Would it? I don't think they'd mess around with Logan Webb, so I think it would be 
between him and Cueto, correct? I would think so. And it may be, you know, the handedness of the opponent. Um, mm. You know, they could maybe they try to go with if it's the Dodgers that they face. <laughs> that still makes me laugh <laughs> to think about the Dodgers and Giants in a postseason series. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, maybe it makes sense to go with your your right-handed sprinter, whether it's a you know a Leon or or a Littell or or Jay Jackson, uh, and then have um, have Wood come in after that if, if he's available. Um, so yeah, I, I think that um, I, I think we can count safely on Webb and, and Gossman, um, and then after that, I think they're probably going to be pretty open ended. Yeah. This has been episode number one fifty nine of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back on Thursday. Talk about what the Giants did in Coors Field for the last couple games, and we will see you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>